You're fat. You so drink anyone. Maybe if you show a little bit of cleavage. Maybe you're acting too smart. You're a boss. I just don't understand why you don't have I would money. money. I would marry you. You're a tequila You're a party. party. You're the Chargers. I don't get your Hey, all you catches, it's your favorite single gal, Erin, who transformed in front of your eyes, got reeled in front of your ears, and had an Oprah aha moment that changed everything. Ladies, before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love. Self-love is power bait. It helped me reel in what I believe to be a keeper, but even the best fisherwomen have to recognize when it's time to catch and release. You're tuned in to another episode of You're Such a Catch, a podcast dedicated to helping you realize the catch that you are. We do not have to be defined by our relationship status nor conform to societal norms. All we have to do is be ourselves. Last week, we celebrated the 100th episode of You're Such a Catch, as I shared all about my impromptu whirlwind adventure with my high school bestie. I wanted to illustrate how important it is to be open to opportunities and possibilities because you just never know when a door is going to open. And when it does, you have to be ready to walk through it. Have you made your live list yet? Don't forget to take a picture or screenshot it and tag me at your such a catch or use the hashtag YSC live list. Make sure you peep on my adventure on Instagram as well at your such a catch. All of my videos are listed in my live list highlight reel. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Brianne Davis, Hollywood actress, author, and the podcast host of the Secret Life podcast. You may have seen Brianne on shows like Lucifer, Casual, or even True Blood, She has a familiar face and a beautiful soul. Brianne carried her own secret, which is what we're discussing today, claiming your truth. She is a sex and love addict, an illness that affects 6% of the U.S. population. Of that 6%, 37% or 5.5 million are women. Brianne's been in recovery, SLA, or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous for 12 years. I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to explain the revelation I've had over the past year. You might be thinking, why the hell is this woman admitting to be a sex and love addict? Rule number one, the key to getting better and becoming healthy is admitting you have a problem. I was in a dark pattern, and this isn't a pretty picture I'm about to paint. So here I am, I'm admitting it. It took me a long time to speak the truth about myself. I was always surrounded by secrets and lies, relishing in the double life mentality and definitely the physical exploration of my sexuality. I had a blind obsession with love and sex. After I went through the pain of facing my addiction, I was inspired to share my experience. Who knows? Maybe my failures can help others. Or maybe you can get a few laughs at my expense. Whatever floats your boat, I'm surely okay with it. My goal in sharing this journey is that maybe someone else can find a little hope and realize that they're not broken or alone. I could go back to the beginning and tell you how and why I started acting out with men. Don't worry, I definitely will. But let's go to the beginning of the end, to my lowest point or my bottom, as we like to call it in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous program, SLAW for short. SLAW is a 12-step program based on the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) 
She chose to share her story through the lens of her character named Roxanne or Roxy in the book Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I've read the book and can attest that Brienne is courageous, resilient, and dedicated. Self-love is a topic that seems to surface on the show no matter who comes on or what we're discussing. And today is no exception. I know we've all been working hard at loving the woman who stares back at us in the mirror. Let this episode remind you that we can rise above trauma, challenges, and even addictions that we may be faced with in our lifetime. We claim our truth. We do the inner work and heal and chalk it up to part of our story, learning the lesson or lessons and using our new knowledge to help others. Before we dive in, please make sure you've subscribed on whatever podcast player you tune in on. You will find this episode helpful, so please share it on your Instagram or with a friend or someone you know who will benefit from the message. There's also a downloadable worksheet that corresponds with today's episode. If you want to follow along, take action, and evoke change, click on the link in the episode notes to download and print the form. Okay, first off, I've read the book, and for my listeners who haven't read the book, it's The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. And I am talking to the beautiful Brianne Davis, and I am so happy you're here. Me too. Oh my gosh. You're just as gorgeous, like, through the computer screen as, like, what I imagined you to be. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you are. You are. I'm like, no filters or anything. But I am dying to know because, obviously, I've read the book, and it is full mm-hmm. of so much. But, like, tell me where the courage came from to actually put this out there because this is your life, even though you refer to yourself as Roxy in the book, but this is your life. I don't know, girl. I sometimes wonder what came over me. I mean, let's be honest. I never wanted to write a book, especially about my addiction. It wasn't a secret, but it definitely was people around me knew about it. And I was in recovery for so long and I spoke all over the world and and in my community of sex and love mm-hmm. addicts and sponsored people all over the world and talked at recovery houses. But going on set and my friends not close to me didn't know about it because it's like – not like I went on set on a show and was like, hey, guys, I'm a sex and love addict. Yeah. I love to flirt and intrigue and all that stuff. But so I don't know. I mean, I think the one thing is when I hit 10 years of recovery, mm. I got my little gold chip. And you get these chips like signifying how much sobriety you have. And I remember when I got the chip, I looked around the room and it was in Los Angeles. I was, And there was 80 people. And most of them were like 19 or 20 years old, struggling to find intimacy, struggling to connect to someone else, struggling with owning their sexuality in a healthy way. And it was just devastating to me that so many young kids don't know about this disease and our society is definitely amplifying it more and more since when I was a teenager. And I just got this overwhelming feeling that people need to know about this addiction that no one talks about, especially as a woman, in recovery, in a healthy relationship. So that was the catalyst of like writing the book, doing the podcast, writing articles, saying, hey, I'm a sex and love addict. There's a way out of this. You don't have to be addicted to love, finding that perfect partner, always wanting that first high of love, you know, the the butterfly. butterfly It's like, yeah. Uh like the best high in the world. It's the same high as cocaine. I really say I sniff people and Mm. I like drink people. Give me attention. Give me validation. Tell me you love me. 
but then I don't know what to do with it. Right, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. first off, I mean, the fact that you chose to share this and be so open and so vulnerable, like, I just commend you because Aww. as you just mentioned, like, not a lot of people know that this is a thing. And mm -mm. I think one of the things that society has done is made talking about challenging and difficult topics like this, like taboo. But how can we grow and help each other and learn from one another? And even maybe somebody out there right now listening is dealing with something similar to this, but how can they even know if, if there's no conversations around it, right? Oh my God. And yes, and even in my community, old timers like me with... I have 12 years now, still don't talk about mm -hmm. it. I try to get a couple of them to come on my podcast, even change their name, and they would not Do talk it. about it because there is so much stigma and shame. But if you think about it, every movie is about unrequited love, finding that perfect person, those songs like chase after the unavailable and get him to love mm -hmm. you or her to love you, whoever, you know, watch a dateline. It's all about love triangles, <laughs> yeah. people killing each other. Watch, I mean, literally turn on anything, listen to your friends, going back to toxic relationships, like being one night stand, swiping left and right, yeah. going back to that horrible ex when they just said last week they weren't going to mm -hmm. do it flirting, intriguing, wanting more people to like them on social media. It's insanity how many love addicts there are in this world. And I just said, fuck it. Right. Like, here it is. And that's why I made made a Roxanne and not mm -hmm. me. That's why I didn't make it a memoir. I made it so anybody could read it and say, oh my God, I've done that too. I have a little Roxanne in me. I've said no. I said yes, but I actually meant no. Mm -hmm. I didn't hold my truth. I went outside my relationship while I was at that club. It's just like anybody can pick up the book and understand sex and love addiction in a fun, entertaining way and not in the old school clinical mm -hmm. academic way where you pick it up and it's like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which, honestly. So I wanted to make it like a movie. <laughs> like you're watching a movie and reading a movie. It is. And I would love to read it like in the actual pages, but I chose to listen to it on Audible. Oh. And I, okay, I love it even more because I'm hearing it through your voice, which is like through your lens. And so torture. Oh, I, I was going to ask you. I mean, I can only imagine like even having a podcast and talking about some things that have happened to me. I'm a very similar type of personality type where I'm an open book and I'm sharing my voice to help others, right? Which is what you're doing. Right. But like to read mm -hmm. that back and say it aloud, like tell me about that. Oh, girl. It was horrible. It was probably the hardest two and a half weeks of my life. I mean, when they told me, oh, we have to do the audiobook now, I was like, huh? What? <laughs> like, that was literally I legit my reaction because I, like I said, I never wanted to write right. a book. I never, I have dyslexia. Oh. I never wrote a book. I just, I have ADHD. I'm like, give me the dialogue and I'll say it, but I'm not writing the dialogue. So when they told me I had to do the audiobook, I literally was shocked, mm -hmm. Com in complete shock. And I go, well, can I have one of my friends, actor friends do it? Like, I was thinking my friend Janet Kramer, because we've talked about this stuff so much in the – like, I was started, like, who can I ask that will right. do this job? And they were like, first of all, you're an actor. <laughs> Second of all, people like when the authors read it, so you have to do it. I was literally in a sound booth with a sound guy oh, saying these – the worst things you ever did, <laughs> said, thought about doing her. Right. And that inner voice, 
we're so self-deprecating. We're mm. so disgusting. We're so, we think the worst things. Mm-hmm. And I had to say it out loud yeah. in front of people over and over again. Oh, and, and the motion came up, especially at the end of like chapter, I think two and three and 11. Yeah. Five, chapter five, six, and seven, going back at the why, looking at the character defects, mm-hmm. compare and despair, those three chapters, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. Like, it was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. But I'm really proud of it now because I listened back to it and I was like, good job, <laughs> Brienne. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. And I'm so glad it's your voice and that you did it and, ch- and chose to just kind of like put put the ego aside and and like also any of those negative thoughts because it was it was very intimate hearing it from you there's certain parts that I was like holy shit like I can't (laughs) believe this happened I never thought like oh she's exaggerating I thought like oh man she's just being brutally honest about the experiences that she had and you give this whole glimpse into this world that I mean I live in LA but I'm so far removed from like true like Hollywood and the scene. And I actually, I was in like LA proper last weekend and I was Mm -hmm. reminded, you know, just, I mean, it just went to dinner and just looking around, I was reminded in some of the people you speak about, I don't even want to say characters because they're real people, but I was like, oh, these are the type of people that you were probably dealing with on a daily basis. And their thought process so different than my world, but crazy. It, It is like, watching a movie or hearing a movie play, but yeah. it was your life. So I want to ask you, my favorite chapter, if we can break it down, is actually chapter chapter yes. 11. And d- yeah, it, it chapter 11. So chapter 11, the overall theme is really you coming in to realize like self-love is this big, something that you hadn't taken into consideration. You were always looking outside yourself, but it's like chapter 11, you recognize who you are and you learn to really love the woman, flaws and all. So tell me about that because it kind of brings it all full circle. Yeah. I mean, I'm really proud of chapter 11. When I was writing it, I cried. When I recorded it, I cried in a way where it was like underneath sex and love addiction, underneath being addicted to a person, what you are usually lacking is fear of intimacy, fear of abandonment, fear of being loved, fear of worthiness. And that underneath is that self-love. It's that empty hole that most addicts, even non-addicts, we try to fill with outside stuff. And to really go through the journey with Roxanne and myself Mm -hmm. and find this moment of like self-love is my superpower. No one can take that away from me. Take away my career as a working actor. I'm not an A-list celebrity. That's why I wrote the book like that. So you could know what a working actor, not what J-Lo's life is like. And take that away. Take my money away. Take my boyfriend, husband, whoever Mm -hmm. away, and I will be okay because the work I did on myself in this program and in with my therapist, Dr. Kath, and everybody, that is mine. Nobody can take that from me. Mm -hmm. And to actually be able to stand on your two feet and nothing outside of you gives you that high anymore, even you giving me these compliments, it's not about me. It's about me Mm -hmm. being of service with my book of – of showing up and and helping others through my own trials and tribulations, that I can stand there now not in ego 
and right. know that like I am okay whether you like it or not. Like yeah. I never that would have never happened 12 years ago. I would have if you said one bad thing, I would have focused on that bad thing and been like, "Ah, why did I do this?" So it's that power of self-love and loving yourself and I have this beautiful scene at the end that Roxanne marries herself and it's just such a symbolic moment of we live and die with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Why don't we love ourselves first? Yeah. Like that's the most important. Yeah. You gave that illustration. And it's funny because I've been in this season of claiming on um, season three of the podcast. And so this just lended itself very well. And I think that oftentimes, no matter if we are addicted, any sort of addiction, or if we're just out there trying to kind of fill this void, Mm -hmm. we want to brush the work under the rug. Like we want to bypass it. We want to go to the gratification. We want to skip to whatever we think is going to make us happy. Skip to feeling better, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I even, I recently went through a breakup and I was like, when am I going to wake up and be over this person. Exactly. Where's the next person? So what are they, that saying, that stupid saying, like to get over somebody, get under somebody else. It's just like, (laughs) exactly. And I will tell you, if it wasn't for the work I've been doing on myself, different than the work you did, but still I was working on myself and learning to love the woman that I saw her reflection back in the mirror. Mm -hmm. I would be in a really rough spot right now. But what I love is that I've learned that he just wasn't my person and and I'm okay by myself. I I love myself. So people will say like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, be proud of me. And people will say like, oh, I hope you can find somebody else so you can get your happiness back. It's like, no, 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 no. no. My happiness comes from within. And I think that's also why your chapter, that chapter resonated so much with me. Like I said, it's just like this beautiful moment where you just blossomed and had like this realization, like, I'm going to be okay on my own. And you put forth the work and the effort, which wasn't easy. No, it is like going through any breakup, letting go of any toxic person, whether it be a family member, whether it be friends, friends are very difficult to let go of. That one was actually more painful than letting go of like Mm -hmm. a love partner, a toxic person in your family, being willing to let go of them to Mm -hmm. save your sanity, your spirituality, your serenity, your peace. It is a lot of work. That's why I have the rules. Like there's these rules in the book, 10 rules. And one of the main ones is walk through the fire and let it all fucking burn. Like let it burn. Let all of the things you are holding on to, people, places, and things, and surrender and just know mm-hmm. that you will get on the other side and feelings are meant to be felt right. because when you don't feel them, they get stuck in your body and that mm-hmm. doing therapy for eight years, twice a week, working the 12 steps, really looking back at the trauma I cause and people cause to me, forgiveness, ask, looking at my character defects, seeing which ones run my life, which all of those character defects are mine. Just so you know, (laughs) that chapter, I was like, I will own it. Those are all mine. And it's like, when I actually did that work, it was the most painful thing in the world. It is that caterpillar butterfly situation Mm -hmm. where you have to like die. Yeah. To then be born again. Again. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was the most beautiful thing. And I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm -hmm. And like I said, no one can take that work from me. Absolutely. 
And some of the things I want to touch on, I mean, you talk about how the language that your mom used when talking Mm -hmm. to you, Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of stuck out with me, right? Because as a kid, we don't really recognize those things as problematic, right? And so it's not until we're an adult that we're like, whoa. And then you were mentioning some of um, the things she would say to you about like the bags under your eyes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you also talk about not even feeling comfortable leaving your home without makeup on. Still to this day. Still really? to this day. Yeah. Yeah, that's still a battle. I mean, I'm writing book two right now, the follow-up, and Roxanne, like, that's still a battle, wearing that mask out into the world, mm-hmm. still not fully wanting to be seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that stuck out with me. And then I think also you have this realization that when you were younger, you were sexually assaulted. And you mm-hmm. it, it's almost as if you didn't recognize it. I didn't know. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I didn't. That was a moment I blocked out in my life. That was a moment. Still to this day, I don't know exactly what occurred. And Mm -hmm. we do that to protect ourselves. And so if someone's out there struggling in relationships, usually underneath something like that happens and we forget it. So it's be gentle with yourself. But the thing you have to look at is why are you choosing an unavailable person? Why are you unavailable? Why do you get in relationships and then like get over them really fast and want to get and run? It's like because a part of us is unavailable. A part of us is still afraid of intimacy. And one of my things is that I did have sexual trauma that I didn't even realize I had. Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to point out to my listeners too and I think this resonates in my own life, is these things are going to happen to us in life. I mean, this is what life is, right? Mm -hmm. It's about circumstances and things that are out of our control. But the beautiful thing about what you've been able to do and what I feel like I've been able to do in my life is own my truth, right? And recognize that it's just part of my story and my journey. And there is this healing that comes and it doesn't happen overnight. We still get to live a beautiful life. And, and we own what happened and we kind of press forward. And those aren't the only difficult moments you've shared. I mean, I no. think my jaw was on the ground when you talked about the AIDS scare. Yeah. So can you kind of shine some light or, or more on that? I mean, I know not to tap into. I, I think that was a fear of, of myself growing up was always like, oh, well, if you happen to get an STD, most of them are curable, but AIDS, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, any STD is scary. Some of them are. Right. And God willing, I haven't gotten any. And I didn't have any one night stands or have a lot of sexual partners, which is important for me to say because you can be a sex and love addict and not do those things. But there's those moments where you hear things and you're like, oh, I'm going to stop seeing that person. I'm not going to. And then you go back and do it anyways. And it's like, I wanted Roxanne to go through that journey of when she's like, no, I'm not going to put myself through this person treating me this way or them having an STD. And then going and sleeping with them anyways because you feel so depleted and you're scared to let that person go. Mm -hmm. So it's like. That's why I I put everything in there. My story, other people's stories, stories I've heard over the years, so you can get a whole picture of what a sex and love addict looks like and know that you're not alone. And that was the most amazing thing. My mom read the book, which I have uh to tell you about. (laughs) Oh, oh, she read it in a day, the day it was released. Yes, the day it was released, and she called me crying, and I was like, Mm. oh, no. On FaceTime, too. I was like, oh, oh, God, oh, my God, oh, no, oh, God. And she said two things to me. The first one, she said, 
the 10 years, I finally understand your addiction. Like, I finally get it. And I was like, wow. And then she said, and I've done some of the same things Roxanne has done. And it was just this beautiful moment I did not ever think was going to happen. And it's Mm -hmm. changed our relationship. So it's like, when you put your truth out there, when you live your authenticity, when you say, I've done these bad things, but doesn't I'm not a bad person. I was in survival mode. And yes, horrible things were done to me. That we all have baggage, but it's our responsibility to unpack it and not drag it with us, hurting other people for the right. rest of our lives. Like it is our responsibility, like you said, to to yeah. do the work. Yeah. And I'm sure that brought up so many feelings for your mom, but how oh, beautiful sure. for you to like be seen, feel seen mm-hmm. by her and have her recognize. Because sometimes too, I think with our loved ones, sometimes we hurt our loved ones the most and oh, we yeah. don't recognize the power of our words or, or even what we're saying. We're, we're just in go mode and we don't reflect. Well, we all have triggers, right? So like you saying something can trigger someone else that you have no idea what they yeah. go through or mm-hmm. if that reminded them of their parents or what, so on and so on. So we have to be really kind with our words and also then take responsibility when you have wronged someone. That's a huge step. <laughs> Amen. Yes, Amen. Like, uh-huh. There's the power in I'm sorry, I will never do that again. It's as mm-hmm. simple as that. And the moment my mom said those things and she also said to me, which was such a healing moment, like, I'm sorry I wasn't a great mother, but I didn't have a great mother, so I didn't have the tools, and I'm really sorry. And the moment she did that, it was just like all that young anger just evaporated. She's human, and she's flawed, and I'm human, and I'm flawed, and you're human, and you're Mm -hmm. flawed, and your listeners are human and flawed. Right. So let's, like, have some empathy and compassion. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is just, you're going to give me choke up. (laughs) I'm like, because I feel it. You know what I mean? And it is so true. And I think a lot of times we don't, we don't do that. No, we don't. We're in, we're hardest Mm -hmm. on ourselves. Yeah. Like it's harder for me to give myself empathy and compassion than someone else. And that's where the self-love comes in. That's why I say now, like my superpower is self-love. And how I get that is being of service to other people. It's not about me, even though self-love is about you. It's about being of service and helping other people. That's what gives me Mm -hmm. my worth on this planet. Yeah. And you speak about that in the book as well. You Mm -hmm. talk about the first moment that you did something for somebody else and didn't Mm -hmm. expect anything in return. And it was like, oh, this feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the best high in the world. It's better than falling. No, I'm serious. If you if you talk to any old timers, it's like why we keep being of service. It's because that is where the good like shit is. Like that's yeah, where it fills it your soul. And it's not in a place of selfishness or ego or denying feelings or trying to escape reality. It's a mm-hmm. connection with another person. Yeah. Can you share for somebody who hasn't, you know, read the book yet a little bit about what going through slaw is like? Yeah, it's torture. (laughs) (laughs) That's why not many people do it. I mean, it's a revolving door. We have 
so many people come in and come out and come in. And I mean, over the 12 years I've been in it, I can't even, like a handful of people I know. So, and not many people get over a couple of years of recovery. So it's hard. They say AA is the last house on the block and slaw is like the shack in the back, like no oh. one wants to go mm-hmm. to. So it is, it's brutal. So you, what you have to do is you have to come in and just pretty much hit your knees and turn your life over to something that you do not understand. And I still have a hard time with higher power and God at times. And you have to look at all the things you did and hurt other people and the resentments you hold. And I go through that process. You can do it even when you're not in 12 steps. I literally wrote it out so anybody could do this work. Mm-hmm. And then you look at your character defects that were there. Then you make amends for the people you have wronged. And then you pray and meditate as much as you can. And then you're of service. And that's where I live today. I live in, in step 12 of service. Like just doing this interview or writing the book or doing the podcast is all about service. But yeah, it's literally unzipping yourself from your skin, turning Mm -hmm. your skin inside out, feeling every single thing you've never wanted to feel, taking away all your vices, meaning food, Netflix, boys, sex, (laughs) Uh everything. You take away everything that you use to not feel your feelings and you just feel that. And it is like a death. I cried for nine months. Kid you not, every day I cried for nine months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Exhausting. Right. (laughs) It is. It is. But I mean, I'm assuming you would agree with me that it was all worth it. Oh because my god. Because you sit here yeah. today and you can speak about it and you can talk about it and you're in a loving marriage, you have a child now. Mm-hmm. Like talk to me a little bit about that. Like you have this older version of yourself and now you've yeah. up-leveled and you've healed and you've done all this work. Like what is it like to be sitting where you are now? I mean, I, I it's a beautiful life, right? I can handle life on life's terms. I can handle bad days and know that it's just a bad day and it's not a bad life. I used to go into like Oh, I'm I'm not getting along with my partner. Time to run, time to relocate, yeah. time to find somebody else. And I have a son now. I didn't want a son. I didn't want a child. Mm-hmm. I thought I was too mm-hmm. selfish as an individual. And it's like now I have this beautiful human that I get to stop the addictive buck with him. My yeah. husband and I are both in recovery. He has 33 years in AA, 10 years in Debtors Anonymous. And our whole life is about service and our programs. We put that before each other. We put that before our child. It's number one. I get up in the morning. I go to a meeting. I go to a meeting at night. I have boundaries with my husband. I have boundaries with my son. I don't enmesh with my child wanting him to fix mommy. Like, Mm, give mommy a hug. mm -hmm. She's having a bad day. Like, it is not his responsibility. He is his own person. Mm -hmm. And knowing that he will be okay and he has his God, I have mine, my husband. So there's no enmeshing anymore. And it's such a stable way to live. And I just never thought this was going to be – I'm going to get upset. I'm going to get into the emotional. You're going to make me cry. I just never thought it was possible not to be so selfish and self-seeking and to actually have equal partnerships in my life and no drama with any friends. All the friends that couldn't show up for me because they didn't have the skills have gone away. All the Mm -hmm. family members that were toxic and enmeshing have all leveled out. And it was like to know like this work that I did 
has changed my life and hopefully changed my son's life. And if I help one person today, even if one of your listeners like gets out of a toxic situation or stops flirting and intriguing, all that stuff, then I've done my job. So I I never thought it was possible 12 years ago. Like I can't even tell you, I'm a completely different person. So if people say people can't change, that is not true. And I see it every day, people can change. You just have to be willing to do the work and walk through the pain and Mm -hmm. literally be reborn on the other side. You have to do it. There's no way getting around it so beautiful and I just want to say like I'm so incredibly proud of you oh, and and you're an inspiration you really are and I think also you signify hope because sometimes we can only see right in front of us and, and we don't know what taking that step towards recovery Never or towards know. bettering ourselves or whatever the case may be but like to see somebody who's been in these trenches and come out and found themselves and has just such a beautiful essence about them now and is just out there helping people. It's just, I mean, this is what it's all about. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, who knew we were going to have this moment? I I know. (laughs) You can never, never predict. Never. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So tell us what it, what is book two going to be about? Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm in rewrites. I wake up every morning at 6 a.m. and do rewrites. It's, uh, <gasps> but Roxanne is sober dating. You know, I really gave at the end of the book, I start going into the sober dating and how you do that. And like I said, if you're not a sex and love addict, these are tips that I give my clients that I work with. I work with a lot of A-list people that don't want to go into the rooms and, I walk them through how to date in a really healthy way where you're protecting yourself, but also being your authentic self. So Roxanne starts dating and it's gnarly. So gnarly. (laughs) Oh, I feel like we're on a cliffhanger. When does this come out? When does this come out? Well, I don't have a deadline yet. I'm not giving, I'm not allowing it because I have so much stuff going on, but I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to like, hopefully with, I'm hoping next, Valentine's Day because I released okay. the last one on Valentine's Day, so maybe okay. this coming Valentine's Day, not not, but you know what I mean in twenty yeah twenty three twenty three yeah they mm-hmm. are trying to get me to do it before Christmas this year, but I don't know I don't know if that's gonna happen. Girlfriend, <laughs> I am I am writing it. It's been on my bucket list to write a book forever. Oh, I love it. Just do it. <laughs> I'm on chapter six, but girlfriend, I will tell you, I commend you because it is a lot of work, and when you're writing about Things that bring up true about you. Oh, hoo hoo. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is tough. So, well, I can't wait for that. With Valentine's Day right around the corner, I mean, love is on the minds of a lot of us, right? Yeah. So, I think the number one thing is people show you who they are in the first five minutes. Really honor that. And I have with my clients and people I've worked with over the years, taking them through this process. You have to really pay attention to those first five to 10 minutes. And if you are dating online, especially dating apps, do not, and this is the number one rule I have for all my people, do not text a lot. Only thing you text is saying, okay, when's the date? I would love to meet. Here's the time. And if they text you back and want to start a conversation, you can simply say, I would love to answer these, but I would love to do it in person and leave it at that. Because what happens is 
people then use texting as intimacy and it's not real intimacy. It's fantasy intimacy. It's disconnected and people lose interest. We're so Mm. used to stimulation that just do not do it. It's the number one thing I tell people. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And it, and it's so true. It's so like, I'm telling you, if every client that doesn't listen to that rule <laughs> comes back and said, I didn't listen. I was texting back and forth before the date and then they canceled the date or the date wasn't who the person was on the text. And I say, because you can be whoever you want on a text. It's not real. Right. It's not real communication. I actually would get rid of texting altogether if I could. Yeah. But that's not realistic. I understand. Right. I agree. And I think a lot of people are so much better in person as well. I know I am. I'm better in person than I am on an app or through a text message. I mean, even now, I will send somebody a voice note just because. Oh, I love voice notes. I'm yeah. such an animated person <laughs> that I'm like, I want the voice inflection. I want, but I don't even want that either. You don't even. It's a false sense of intimacy, and you do That's not true. know the person. So just don't do it. Number one rule: no matter how person. cute they are. Don't do it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'm going to cast some questions Brianne's way, and she's going to rummage through her tackle box for the answers. Hook us up with your best relationship advice. I think if you are in a relationship that there's any drama, not communication, not working out problems, but if there's drama, if there's highs and lows, it's a sure sign that it is not right for you. I think people get addicted to the drama and think that passion is what a healthy relationship looks like, and it's not. So I always say if there's any drama, friendships, family, partners, it's probably time to let that person go. What's the cringiest pickup line someone's used on you? Oh my God. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. After this work, nobody ever hits on me. Ever. Like I, at all, because I don't give off that energy anymore. Like my energy Mm. is mine. So that's the most beautiful thing that I'm a woman that can walk down the street and nobody bothers them. So Mm. there's the other thing that I love about this work. Okay. So the worst pickup line, and I've heard it a couple of times, and it's that standard annoying one. Like, girl, you must be tired. You've been running in my mind. And I'm like, don't ever use that. Like, stop. That is cringy. (laughs) I mean, I've literally heard it like probably a handful of times in my life. And some people did it as a joke, but still even as a joke, I was just like, no. No, no, No. not into that. Mm -mm. No, please. Thanks. What's something that you're going to let go of that might be holding you back from claiming what you want? I think I'm still working on my chapter seven that, you know, is my compare and despair. That I will always have that character defect that I believe I sometimes look outside of myself and think, why don't I have that? I should be there. And it's like, stay in your own lane, lady. Like, this is your life, not someone else's. You don't know what they're going through. The, The filtered picture isn't isn't usually beautiful and I have moments in that chapter where it helps me stay right-sized and Mm -hmm. be grateful for what I have and what I've done and that I don't have to be on a billboard I don't have to be on New York Times bestseller list because I'm making a difference every day to help other people and that's really all that matters all that other stuff is ego so yeah if Mm -hmm. I just get out of my own way 
sometimes. Thank you so much for joining Brianna and me for this vulnerable, almost intense discussion around claiming our truth. It's heavy, right? But it's healthy. Here are a few of my key takeaways from the episode. One, sex and love addiction is often tied to a fear of intimacy, a fear of abandonment, or a fear of not being loved because you don't believe you're worthy of love. Two, letting go of toxic relationships is hard, whether it be a partner, a family member, or a friend. But what awaits you on the other side is your sanity, your serenity, and peace. Three, claiming your truth doesn't make you a bad person. It allows you to live authentically. Just because you've done quote unquote bad things doesn't make you a bad person. Along those same lines, a bad day doesn't translate to a bad life. Four, self-love is our superpower. Give yourself empathy and compassion. And lastly, five, there are several ways to seek help if you have an addiction. There are people to support you and programs in place to help you. You're not alone. Reach out to Brianne. She can steer you in the right direction. If you've enjoyed Brianne and you want to read her book, Secret Life of the Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, I've linked her contact information and the book in the episode notes. Next week, I welcome Kelly Tang to the show to talk about claiming healthy habits. I love Kelly's approach because it's not all-consuming or overwhelming. It's doable. She has some great tips she'll be sharing around moving your body, nutrition, and faith. Coming from someone who is trying to get back on track, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. Ladies, I said it once and I'll say it again. Before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love. Love.